Welcome back to another special edition of the show. This is part five in a special series supporting National Spa Week here in the UK, which takes place from the 4th to the 11th of November 2019. Now, today we're talking all about business health. Now, surely that just means is a business making money, right? Well, that's wrong. There are lots of other ways that a business can actually be healthy. Intrigued? Well, you should be. I'm joined on today's show by my very special guest, Lopo Champolimode, the CEO and co-founder of Treatwell, formerly Wahanda, to talk about business health and what this actually means. So let's stick that cassette in and let's get going. You're listening to the Beauty Business Podcast, now with over a quarter of a million downloads worldwide. This is the podcast for you if you run an independent beauty salon, skin clinic, or spa. I want to help you reach your business goals through simple, practical, and focused business information and advice. Now, if you're a regular listener of the show, then you might notice a slight difference in some of the episodes this week. You see, this week, the Beauty Business Podcast is supporting National Spa Week here in the UK. And this year, 2019, National Spa Week, run by the UK Spa Association is highlighting the importance of wellness in the workplace. And to celebrate this, every day this week, we are releasing a brand new episode of the show, focusing on a different aspect of workplace wellness, how it can affect you, how it can affect your business, and most importantly, what you should be doing about it. And who am I? Well, my name is Adam Chatterley, and I'm your host here on the show, but also the current chairman of the UK Spa Association. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome back again. Now, just so you know, you're in the right place for today. You're joining me for day five of our special series of beauty business podcast episodes supporting National Spa Week and this year's topic, which is wellness in the workplace. Now, like I said there in the introduction, today we're talking all about business health and well, what that actually means if it's not just about how much money that a business is making or not making, I suppose. I'm joined today by probably the most recognisable guest that we've had on during these special series of episodes this week, certainly within the spa and salon world anyway. Now, I'm sure most people listening, certainly within Europe anyway, have heard of Treatwell, formerly Wahanda. And if you haven't, then you will definitely have heard of lastminute.com. Well, Lopo Champolimo, today's guest, used to work in a senior position at lastminute.com and then left to found the company that is now Treatwell. And all of this in kind of less than a decade. So when it comes to growing a business fast, keeping it healthy, even when it hits 600 employees scattered all across the globe, well, I think we've got the right man for the job. So what I particularly love about today's episode is that each aspect of business health that we talk about, Lopo has a fantastic personal experience or story to go along with it. So please sit back or just listen while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing. And just as a quick reminder, though, the idea of these daily topics this week is to introduce these subjects to you or maybe just expand a little more on what you may already know or what you may think you already know to maybe pique your interest and hopefully get you to go and find out a little bit more. And if you would like to find out a bit more about these topics themselves, or if you'd just like to go and check out more information about National Spa Week and the other topics that we're covering and to get some additional resources like videos and articles and all sorts of stuff like that, then you can go to spa-uk.org forward slash spa week. That's www.spa-uk.org forward slash spa week. Now, take a little time out and join me for my conversation all about business health with Lopo Champolimo. So we'd like to welcome to the show Lopo Champolimo. Very good. Thank you. We were just, I just, we have to say. So I, I've known Lopo for a few years now and I've always gotten away by just calling him Lopo because I never wanted to try and pronounce his surname, but I just had to ask him then. And I think I got away with it. So, uh, pretty, <laughs> so we'll, that's that pretty good. Be- better than most. Better than most. So we'll go with that. I'll, uh, I'll, well, now I know. So there we are. And so, yeah, so Lopo has very generously shared his time with us today. He's a very, very busy man, as we'll get into in a second. Um, but we are talking today about, well, obviously, the, the topic of this week um, for National Spa Week is wellness in the workplace or, or workplace wellness. And we've obviously focused already, Lopo, on things like um, employee wellness from a health and a mental point of view. We've touched on financial wellness for employees as well. Um, but we kind of wanted to put this topic in as well because I think it's very easy to think from a business point of view, a healthy business is just one that makes money because I think we all tend to think that's what a business is there for. But obviously, it's a place where a lot of people spend a lot of their time um, and there's other ways that a business can be kind of healthy and, and help to build health uh, and, and promote health for their employees, right? And I think, I think, you know, I think the way we think of, you know, I- yeah, there's a lot of ways you can think about a healthy 
workplace and a healthy and a successful and a successful business. And I think from our perspective, at least certainly my perspective, the way I've always thought about it is, is I think it starts with a really ha- healthy culture. And, um, and, you know, I think one of the things that we've worked really hard on over our time at Treatwell has been really to try to create a culture which for us at least is one that we really we really believe in and and we think has is really healthy and really think it creates a place which lends people to not only to be successful individually but but to be successful and for the company to be successful in the long term I love that. Yeah. Now you mentioned Treatwell there. Um, and obviously that's where you, you are uh, connected to the industry at the moment. Um, but actually you've had a fascinating background. So before we actually dive into the topic today, can you just fill us in a little bit more on, on your history and, and the, uh, the different businesses you've worked with and how you got to where you are now? Sure. So um, I guess I started my I started my career a little bit by accident uh, in technology. Um, and uh, I thought I was gonna, I wanted to be I came out of university and I kind of thought I was supposed to be an investment banker and I applied to all these investment banks and no one would hire me. And I, and, and in the process of being unhirable, I, 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 I kind of ended up doing an internship at a, at a venture capital firm and, and they weren't paying me or anything, but they had this little business that they'd invested in and um, it, and it was going out of business. And one of the things it owned was the rights to do market research on AOL. And this was like in 1994. This was before Netscape browser even existed. For those, wow. I'm not sure. The, much of this audience won't even know what a Netscape browser is. <laughs> yeah. um, and, 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 uh, and so, and, and we, and so I, and I didn't, I knew nothing about business. I knew nothing about market research. I knew nothing about the internet, but I thought, well, that's a great experience. And I'll try to, but I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of myself and two other people, we said, let's try to build out the world's first online market research company. And, um, as a way of my, my only goal at the time really was just, I, I thought it'd be a good way for me to learn. Uh-huh. And, um, and, uh, I, I, so I, we started this business and, and we became, as I said, the world's first online market research group a company. And we, we, we invented like the online focus group and we invented the, the online survey and the pop-up survey and all those kinds of things. And the business kind of ended up actually being super successful and growing really quickly. And, and, um, and we were supposed to go public in 2000 and uh, we were about two weeks. We were going to go public two weeks after last minute of content, two weeks too late. And, right. um, and the, the, yeah, the market crashed and, you know, the, the company needed money and we found ourselves in trouble and we, you know, we had to, we, we had to sell off big chunks of the business and shut down others. And we ended up kind of rebuilding the business around one core part of the business, which was a, cause it was a, you know, the crash was severe and it's, yeah. it's hard to, to, to forget, like, you know, we rode this incredible dot-com boom and, and, you know, and but so many of our clients went under during the time, right? It wasn't just, it wasn't just like, you know, our own requirement, but suddenly like so many of our customers were going out of business. Yeah. And, um, and so it, we went, there was this incredibly dark period uh, in early 2000s. And um, we focused on then what was a really interesting part of the business, which was small, but growing really quickly, which was, um, which was a CRM business. So it was kind of helping big companies manage their their relationships with customers through data uh-huh. and um and today we would be called big data company or something like that uh, mm-hmm. but at the time we just we kind of realized that we always have this feeling that the internet was one of the things that was really exciting but the internet was its capacity to the access you had to information and data which could be used if done well to create a much better, richer experience for customers, and uh, and that was that was uh, early two thousand, and that kind of grew and became really successful. And I sold it to my partners, and kind of in, in I got tired in about two thousand four, and um, <laughs> and there you go. So so you want the whole history? You can edit you can edit all as much as this as you want. <laughs> um, so in two thousand four, I joined LastMinute.com, and uh, and I ran the lifestyle business. Uh, at lastminute.com. Um, it was about 50% of what we sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was there, we sold the company. And in 2008, I started Treewell, uh, originally as Wanda. Um, yeah. and, the, and the history of, the, the story of, of, of the founding of, of Wanda was, um, was I was at lastminute.com 
and I was tr- working late one night and I wanted to make book book a massage and um, I called up this 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 spa that I knew and I kind of knew it was not too far from my house and and um, they were closed so I left a voicemail message and they didn't respond and right. then I and then the next day I realized I hadn't respond so I sent them an email and they didn't respond and then a couple of days later they finally did respond but like times didn't work and you know so and I got to the end of the week and basically I hadn't had the thought you know working at lastminute.com I was running all these different sectors where we were creating the ability for consumers to book online and I was like why is it that you can book everything online but you can't beauty services it doesn't make any sense and so we started Wanda with a real simple view, which was to be open table for spas and salons. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I, I, I never knew that's how, where the idea came from. So that's amazing. Yeah. And now look at what it's grown and, into. <laughs> and it's grown into, and it's grown. I've been lucky. You know, we, 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 we started in 2008 and we, um, you know, it took us some time to figure out the model and figure out how to work. And we were very lucky at the spa industry in the UK, we started in the UK and the UK spa industry really embraced what we were trying to do and supported us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, incredibly grateful uh, for that. And, and with that, we just kept building and building and, and, you know, in 2000 and we, and as we developed, um, we, we started going international. So today we, you know, we're about, we're, we're, we rebranded in 2015, but we're, you know, um, we're today, we're about 600 employees. We're in 11 markets. Wow. Um, about 50 cities um and you know the business still grows like 80 percent a year and it's 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 quite a, it's quite an amazing thing we're, and we're, the, we're the largest hair and beauty um marketplace uh anywhere in the world except for uh japan um and, really uh, japan wow japan there's um there's a company in japan um who called recruit uh holdings who has a business called which is um, which is an amazing business in Japan, and um, and they bought us in um, in 2015, um, and and uh, first, on, and um, they have they they have a business that's that's bigger than much bigger than ours, and and really amazing to see how what the future of our industry will be when you when you kind of see what they're what they're doing today in Japan. Love that. And just because, um, because obviously I, I, I doubt anyone in the UK has not heard of Wahanda and now Treatwell, um, but obviously there will be people listening to this uh, in other countries that maybe you aren't operating in just yet. So how do you describe uh, Treatwell these days? I, I describe Treatwell the same way I described it, actually the same way I described it when we first started the business, which was uh, we're open table for spas and salons. So we what we do is we provide a a, a software to salons to manage their business. Um, and uh, so spas and salons can manage all their business, whether it comes from Treatwell or not on that mm-hmm. software. We call that Software Connect. And um, and then we've built a marketplace, which is, as I said, the largest in the world, where you, outside of Japan, where you can book, where consumers come and they find the services they want and they book it whenever they want. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, but, you know, we do, we send about a booking every second to the to, to customers to salons, wow. um, and you know it's 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 uh, it's a couple million pounds a, a day that's sent to into the market. So it's a huge it's it's a big business. That's huge. That's amazing. And obviously, it becomes such a, a, a staple of the industry now in the UK. Um, so yeah, and the UK is our biggest. Yeah, the UK is our biggest market, and um, you know, and, and continues to grow really well. And it's it's become, you know, it's it's, it's an exciting market for us. Um, but what's interesting, I find amazing, is still we're still such a small part of the market. You know, there's still so much to do. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's a huge industry, and every consumer out there participates in our industry, which is one of the exciting things I think about our industry. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So you've obviously you've been involved in a number of companies yourselves. Always, always kind of uh, at the forefront of technology. So you've probably been working with, I imagine, quite young companies, young people and those kind of things. So you've probably seen a lot of ways to, to make a business healthy yourselves. And obviously, you've, you've got a lot of visibility of salons and spas and things as well. So when it comes to talking about um, business health and, and how else uh, a business can be and be perceived healthy, you mentioned culture at the beginning there. So what are the elements of culture you think are, are most important for a healthy business? 
you talked about age it's quite of the company it's really funny that you know we did we, we we only have like this only nine percent of the company was born before 1980. <laughs> 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 okay. we, we, did, we did a 1980s theme party the other day and we realized that only about 25 percent of the of the of the of the, of the, of the 30 percent of the population of the country well everyone else had to google it Wow. So, uh, watching YouTube so, uh, clips yes. of Miami Vice and things like that. <laughs> exactly. So, um, it is a young. We are a young company, and um, and you're right. I've always, you know, I, and I love, I love the energy and, and the creativity and the uh, you know that, that comes with that. Um, and you know, I think one of the things, and the thing, but the thing that that you know, I probably have focused the most on at Treatwell. And and the thing that I think has been one of the things that's made us successful is is this culture that we've built, and um, and it's it's something that's been a lot of it's organic. It comes from not just me, but from from I think the groups of people, the people that were at the company from the start. And there's several people at the, who are still here, who, you know, eleven years later, who 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 were there from day one. In fact, mm-hmm. there's a funny story, which is that. I, I kind of the company got started at, while I was still at lastminute.com officially. So I'm actually not even officially employee number one at, at Treatwell. <laughs> there's actually there's there's a guy at the company who's actually employee number one, and he's still here, and um, and he's amazing. And so you know it's it's kind of a funny, but you know so those you know but those people kind of set a D, a, the DNA of the company very early on, and we developed it and built on it, and we think about it more deliberately today than we did in the early days, but, you know, it's, we, but it's, we've had to think about it much more deliberately as we've expanded geographically because, you know, we're 600 people, but there's only about 250 or so that are in London. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very distributed group. We have 11 offices. So, you know, I, you know, I, and I, there's a limit to how much I can fly around and people come to the office every day and they don't come to work for me. They come to work for the people that they work with every day in those teams and, yeah. and the problem they're trying to solve. And I want but when you bring everyone together, you can see there's a real common culture, and that's the thing that I think that's been very powerful for us. And and that and I think it's a it's a really critical part of I think what makes any business successful. And what are the uh, what would you say are the ingredients then of that culture? What are the what are the things that stand out most? Well, I think culture is a really interesting thing. So I think I think the, it's really important. I think when we talk about culture, that that. The, the, I, I'll talk about what our culture is. Sure. But yeah. I, 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 but I think it's really important that the culture is a subjective thing, and it's not, and, it, and, and not all cultures are right. There's no such, in a sense, there is there is such a thing as bad, really bad toxic cultures, which are cultures where people don't feel productive. Hmm. But but you can people can feel productive in all kinds of environments, and it's and um, what I will describe is our culture. But I am by no means would I suggest that this is the culture that everyone should should right. should you know ascribe to and, and should to look to build. And I think that the culture that is required for your business is a reflection of what you do and in the industry you're in, and the, but also the nature of who you are as a leader and and i think that's that's a that's a big chunk of what defines the initial part of the culture um so for us the way we define our culture it starts with a really it starts with a little anecdote which is that um i struggled to 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 really define our culture for many years and what where where it really got defined was was we were going to germany for the first time Mm -hmm. And there was a um, there was a big competitor in Germany, a big internet company, who, whose model was really to copy people. And um, we knew that they were kind of that they decided to copy us. And um, they were starting to build a competitor to us and, and and trying to, but doing exactly what we do. And then one day, just after on the second of January, I got a flurry of applications from people at this company. And I said, you know, I wonder what's going on at this company. Why is everyone suddenly sending applications on the, you know, January second? Hmm. And um, and I found out that the founder of this company, CEO's company, had sent out a New Year's message to his whole team, and he basically said, you know, you know, we're not delivering fast enough. We've got to work harder. This year is really important, and you know, I don't want captains. I want soldiers. I basically I want people to just do what I tell them and execute better. 
right? And stop kind of trying to make, trying to kind of get in the way and trying to be yeah, a captain. Just do what I say. <laughs> yeah, do what I say. And I heard this and I said, that's fascinating because what I want is captains. I don't want soldiers, mm-hmm. right? I actually wanted the exact opposite. And so we forever, so ever since then, we've always talked about, you know, we believe in captains, not soldiers, right? And we want people, we want, when I say captains, we want is, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, we want people who are, who are going to take ownership and leadership mm-hmm. themselves, who are not afraid to stand up and kind of lead the way and not, you know, and, and, and be courageous and who are going to think about the team and the people around them. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, and, and are not, and are willing to kind of have this autonomy. You know, I think, you know, they have, when I think of a captain, I think someone who has sufficient autonomy has given some direction from, you know, the rest of the, the army, but they were going to have, they have sufficient autonomy to execute whatever they are kind of tasked to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's kind of how we think about it. We think about how do we give people the freedom and the autonomy and the responsibility to really deliver on whatever it is that they have to do. And so we rarely will sit there and we will rarely sit there and tell people what to do. We'll give them a problem. We'll Mm -hmm. tell them, here's the problem. Here's the thing we're trying to fix. Here's how we're going to measure the success of it. But what you, it's up to you to go figure out how to make this work. And it, it, so, so, you know, it's kind of, we call it responsibility and freedom, uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, it said captains, not soldiers. And it, but it has a couple of really important dimensions that make that work. And one of them is, you know, it's about teams, not stars. It's never been about stars, right? So a, it's about people who can build teams and, and, and who can lead teams and can create people, kind of create organizations around them that, that really make things work and it's always been that way if we you know if you find somebody who's who's a super individual performer but who doesn't work in a collaborative team they do not succeed at tree well right like some okay. people, some organizations some organizations are very good at saying well you know this person's a great individual contributor and i'm going to protect them because they're an individual contributor even if they don't work within the rest of the company we actually look at the opposite like, you know, we, we look at it and we think actually what we want are people who work really, really well in teams, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's an important factor for us. Um, so I remember listening to a CEO once who said, you know, there's four types of people in this world, right? Employees in this world. And uh, uh, you're smiling because... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, just four? Okay. <laughs> okay. He said there's four types of employees. It was really interesting. So, so there's a CEO... He was the CEO of GE, um, yep. and and he was famous. His name was Jack Welsh, and he was famous for firing the bottom ten percent of his employees every year. Right. Okay? He'd he'd force rank his entire employees by by performance, and he'd he forcibly fire the lat, the bottom ten percent and hire a new ten percent every single year. <laughs> and and the result of that, they called him Neutron Jack. Right. His name was Jack Welsh, and he was. And he was ruthless, right? And and I met the, met him, and and someone asked him. It was a group of us, and someone asked him. They said, you know, and it was here in London, and someone was like, you know, you're a bit ruthless, and it's is it really, you know, is it really ethical to do this? And how do you think about your employees? And that was kind of the theme of the conversation, right? And and he said so, and someone said, put up their hands, and and they said, so if you if someone's having a hard time and they're not performing very well, they've had, you know, you just fire them. That seems really cruel. And he said, no, 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 listen, there are four types of people in this world. And he said, oh, I said, okay, well, what are the four? And he says, well, there's the people who, who don't deliver and have the wrong culture. He says, those people are useless. Get rid of them right away. Right. Yeah, like he was a little more, he was a little more ruthless about what his words <laughs> were for that. But he, said, <laughs> um, he said, and then he said, there are people who have the right culture and who deliver the numbers. So they're gold. Do everything you can to protect them. Yeah. Right? He said, then he said, he surprised me. He said, then there's people who have the right culture, but who don't deliver, right? And he says, he said, give those people another chance, right? Because there's a possibility that they're just having a hard time or they're maybe they've got them in the wrong place or the wrong job or they've got mm-hmm. the wrong 
CEO, uh, you know, wrong, wrong uh, manager or something. And so give them a chance and maybe they'll flourish in another, in another place, which is surprising for a guy who fired the bottom 10%. But then he said something to me that I thought was so powerful. He said, but he said, and then they're the people who deliver the numbers, but who have the wrong culture, right? Yeah. He said, those people destroy companies. Right. Right. Yeah. And it was, I was fascinated to hear this from a man who's so performance driven. Mm-hmm. And what his point was, he was saying that those people are the people who basically, yes, they deliver numbers, but ultimately they create, they destroy the fabric of the teams and the culture around them. And what ends up happening is the people all around them leave and, or don't feel, or don't feel productive or right. don't work. Right. And they're the ones who destroy companies. And I've never forgotten those four segments. And, and I've, and I've often thought when I kind of hit a situation where you have an employee who's having a hard time, where am I in those four quadrants? Mm. You know, and, and I think it's a really, I, I, I've always felt that was really useful um, as, as a way of thinking about it. That is, that's, that's a really handy way. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Cool. So in terms of, in terms of culture then that we've already mentioned, we've sort of talked a little bit about environment, responsibility, freedom, those kind of things that you've, you've built at Treatwell. Um, and, and you've said it's not, just what works for one company doesn't work for, for every organization. So in terms of kind of finding and creating your own culture, is that something that you think um, as much as coming from, from the top down, is it something you actively kind of speak to employees about and find out what things they're looking for from the company or things that can be changed within the company to, to improve that culture even more? I mean, I say this all the time to people, you know, as a CEO, you, you get people all the time come to you and they'll say, oh, there's a problem with this and there's a problem with that or the, you know, the culture that you've created. I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. (laughs) (laughs) There are 600 people in this company, right? This is your culture as much as it's mine. Yeah. Right. And, and I think it's a real, one of the things this goes to the point of, you know, thinking as a captain, not a soldier is, is I, I do not accept somebody basically saying this is not my responsibility or i don't have a part to play in the culture that is created right i mean i it's i I will push back hard on somebody Mm -hmm. who comes in and and with that mentality right so i mean part one of our one of our fundamental principles is to take ownership and 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 you know and you can't you know ownership's a really responsibility it's a really funny thing you can't you you can't actually we talk we the words we use are really interesting in language right we say give someone responsibility but right. you can you cannot give somebody responsibility true it's 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 an impossibility right <laughs> they can only take responsibility yep. right no it's, it's absolutely a, true is it is a choice so does this employee choose to take responsibility for what's happening and so we talk about the culture a lot we talk about when we fail as a as a as a team and a culture a lot. We talk about when we succeed it and we celebrate the successes. But when there's something that's wrong, my often, more often than not, my, my answer back to them is like, well, what are you going to do? Right? How do you, how are you going to help make it better? Yeah. And when someone says we should do this, I'm like, great, you can start. Right. And, and, and I'll let you take the lead on that. Okay. And I'll give people a lot of freedom to how to, how to do that. So you mentioned something there about in terms of failure and if you're creating captains and you're giving people this autonomy and, and they're taking their own responsibility for things, where do you stand um, on things like when mistakes happen inevitably when people are, uh, everyone's taking responsibility that way? I think every mistake or every failure is an opportunity to learn, you know, and, and, you know, we, we, we have a very, we have a very deliberate policy of like, of where people fail is because when they don't take risks in this company is when yeah. they fail is when they don't try stuff and they don't to, to have made a, to have failed because you've tried something, but you thought through it and you really kind of, you thought, you know, you went through it is a, is completely okay. Right. Um, now to do the same thing twice, not so good. <laughs> a third time we've got a problem, right? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but if you're, if you're, tr- if you're trying, you're testing, you're pushing the boundaries. I mean, failure is absolutely inherent. And the question, so the, the only thing we talk about, there's a couple of things when we think about failure. Um, so the first thing we talk about is we want to make the failure as small as possible. Right. right? So, so one of the things we, w- w- and we whenever we, inevitably as a company, when we have failed is when we have made huge, we try to make huge bets. Usually the way we've done well is when we make, we make small incremental bets. So that one of the things I always challenge 
us as a company and myself is how do I take a problem, whatever it is, and how do I test the idea in its smallest incremental way? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? That makes sense. So 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 I'll give you an, I'll give you a really concrete example. Cool. Before we before we someone has an idea for this great idea they're gonna build something, right? Uh, some big product. And you come back mm-hmm. and you're like, that's gonna take six months and it's going to take 20 engineers it's going to take them a huge effort to build this thing right yeah. I'm like, well i'm not going to commit no one's going to commit 20 engineers for six months to something so you have to prove something a little bit better and so sometimes what we'll do is we'll simply put up a button on some on a page or something mm-hmm. and say and so, you know we'll say x functionality click here and they click on we'll see how many people click on that functionality and we'll say and then when you click on it, it says oh that functionality is coming soon okay right but now we at least know how many people have clicked on it have interest yeah. In that one little thing. And that's a, and it takes no effort, right? So the smallest, the, even the smallest little steps are, it's how you break down this problem and make it, and, 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 and take those steps. The second thing we try to do is we're very, very data-driven. So, you know, we trust our gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really important for people to trust guts. I don't want people to start, I don't want people to believe they have to do research and everything else to, mm-hmm. before they can take the first step. Uh, you look at the data, analyze it, but go for it. Um, but I also think it's really important is for people is for people to be open about their failures. So one of the things I will really get pissed off with people about is if they fail but try to hide it, because right. then everyone has lost the opportunity to learn from that failure, right? So it's it's, like, it's really important that you know you're not you know you're not going no one's going to lose their job for having tried something and failed. They are going to lose a job if they kind of tried something and kept failing at the same thing again and again, or hidden it because if they were doing that, or or not been open about it. So being, so being open, being adaptable, being using data to try to make your decisions better each time. If that's what's happening, each failure is an improvement. It's not a failure in itself. Yeah, I love that. And um, there's a, I'm, I'm very much trying to embrace failure at the moment because just to make forward progress. And there's a, there's a phrase that keeps coming up. I think I probably mentioned it on the show before, but I'm going to say it again. Um, and it's, uh, it's a quote that I've heard, and I don't really know where it came from originally, but it's, um, in everything that you do, you either get the result you wanted or the lesson you needed. And I think that's a really powerful, powerful phrase. Whenever you're trying anything, so as long as you learn from that's any really mistake good. you get, you can have that. That's really yeah. good. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to use that. That's free. Yeah. Take it away. Um, okay. So, uh, well, Rui, so one of the things that when we were just talking the other day, one of the things that I found really interesting was it's a very specific example. And again, this is not going to work for everyone. Um, but you mentioned, I guess it'd come from a, a team meeting or some, something like this. Um, but it was around about your holiday policy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So uh, this actually has been true from the very beginning. And, it's, and this one does come from me. Um, I, I, so I've been, I've worked for myself or, you know, or I've worked as a founder of a business through my entire career with the exception of when I was at lastminute.com. And when I was there at last minute, I remember the HR person came up to me and they said, Lopo, you have to fill in your holiday time. And I looked at them and I've never filled in, filled in a holiday sheet in my entire life. And I looked at them and I said, I'm not going to fill in a holiday sheet. And they said, would you have to? I said, I'm not. And I said, and they said, why not? I said, well, because I don't fill in overtime and I don't fill in, you know, a lot of stuff. And I work, you know, I work to get the stuff done and then, and I'm not going to fill in my holiday time, right? I will get the work done. But, and yeah. they, and they basically, and they, and we had a standoff and I basically said, you can fire me if you want about it. And they never <laughs> did. Um, and so when I, when I started treat, well, I kind of thought, I thought about that. I thought I'm not going to subject my, my employees to the same thing. And, and we've had from the beginning, we've had an unlimited holiday policy at Treatwell. Now it's, it's a little more common today than it was back in 2008. Mm-hmm. And, and, and but basically what that means is everybody in the company has the ability to take as much holiday as they want. Right. And um, there's by law, they're, 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 we prescribe the minimum amount they must take, but we, they, they can take more if they want. There's a couple of rules about taking it, right? One is that you must get approval. So you can't just, you know, disappear. <laughs> disappear. You have to make sure the rest of your team is okay with it, right? And you've got to make sure you continue to deliver your results, right? And what happens is that, and I've got a couple of, you know, there's a couple of interesting things that come out of that policy. The first is that inevitably, about once or twice a year, there ends up being a manager or a leader in the company that comes to me and says, uh, Lopo, this holiday policy, it's not working. 
I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I've got this employee who's abusing it. They're never here. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're not delivering their numbers. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The problem is not the holiday policy. The problem is you've got an employee who's not delivering. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use the holiday policy as a crutch for dealing with the fact that you've got an underperforming employee. Yeah. And, and I think we use it that way. And, I, and, I, and so it requires... It requires more transparency and open openness as a leader to manage situations, but I think it's 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 important to be clear about that. The second example was actually early on in our history. We had a I had a salesperson who was a very talented salesperson who 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 one day came in to see me and she says, "Look, I've I've been thinking about this and I've I've, I've got a few suggestions on how to make the culture better." I was like, "Well, that's great, good leadership. Okay, I'd love to sit down." And she sat down, and we, and we sat down in the meeting room, and she prepared a 30-page slide presentation, you know, PowerPoint presentation, on things she thought would be better. But I, was like, I, was like, no, I was like, this is great. This is fantastic. And she was a clever salesperson. So she started, the first slide she had was a slide which said, which basically said, okay. And she was, and she was clever. So she was starting with the one she thought I would absolutely say yes to right away. And she said, okay, well, if we're hitting our numbers, right? And we're, we're ahead of targets. We should be able to just, you shouldn't give us Friday offs, right? And, and she turned the page, she flipped the, the slide to, to the next slide. And I said, well, we'll go back. And, and, and I said, I'm not going to do this. And she goes, what do you mean? We're, we're, we're hitting our numbers, right? Like it's easy, right? Just give us Friday afternoon off. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. You have unlimited holiday, right? If you are hitting your numbers, take Friday afternoon off. In fact, take the whole day Friday off. In fact, if you're hitting your numbers, take Thursday, Wednesday, and Tuesday off. I don't care, right? Just yeah. hit your numbers. And she looked at me and she went quiet. And she said, but that's different. I said, what do you mean it's different? She goes, but that means I'm responsible. I'm like, exactly. Because what she was asking for was for me to absolve her of the responsibility she may have had to do, for the responsibility she had of work to do that week. And I was not going to do that, right? She is responsible for what she does. And, and, and that's what that unlimited holiday policy is about, is about people taking responsibility for what they're doing and to take the amount of time they want. So you've, you've really set this culture up so that all the responsibility is on the, the employee themselves. They've got to accept it, take it, own it in every way. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, 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 it's not my career. It's their career. Right, it's their it's their life. If they're not happy here, they should do something else. If they, you know, if they want to succeed, they should run with it, and then they should be successful. I think it's about pushing that responsibility that way. I mean, it goes in many ways. Like, there's, I'll give you another policy. It's an example of how the, the another example of how that culture trickles through. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I and I love this example because it's people sometimes think this kind of culture can only happen in when you're sitting, when you're, when you've got, you're talking about techies and engineers. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is it, it, can it work outside of that in a more traditional, certainly in a spa or a hotel or something like that? Uh, so we don't operate a spa in a hotel, so I can't tell you how it does. <laughs> I think, but I, but I think, but I think, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty strong believer. I think it can. And if you think about, you know, if you, again, if you think about, uh, you know, I think Disney, for instance, had this policy of the, one of the people, one of the groups of people they spent the most amount of time training was the cleaning staff at yep. the Disney hotels because they realized that they were the almost the only people in the entire staff that actually had regular interactions with the guests staying at the hotels. Yep. Right. So, so people at the front end have giving those people autonomy is really important. And I guess in, in, in line with that, the story we have here is, you know, we have a call, call center for customer service, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when a customer or a partner has a problem, they call up our customer service team. And years ago, I sit, I, I used to always sit with that team because I loved hearing what was happening. I could hear mm-hmm. problems that were coming up, etc. And so one day we were, I was, I was working late and it was eight o'clock at night and some, an employee, a customer, employee was dealing with a customer who had a really bad experience and it was a half an hour phone call. And at the end of the phone call, the customers, the employees talked to the customer through the issue and it calmed them down and they've offered them to refund their, their, the, 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 the booking they had. And we were like, okay, great. And he gets to the end of the call. He says, okay, well, listen, my, my, my boss has left, my manager's left for the day. So I need to just get approval from him in the morning and I'll call you back to confirm this 
that you know this that we're going to refund you and give you and give you some extra we can give them some money on top of that for the mm-hmm. next purchase and um and so we so we so we kind of with that process he hangs up the phone and i realized i'm like this is terrible you know we've 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 wasted we had the customer all the way there we finally resolved the situation and now instead of ha- resolving it at the moment we now have to go He's going to get approval, which he's certainly going to get. And then he's going to have to call the customer back and he's going to take three or four phone calls. And, you know, and it's lost the moment. Yeah. The moment's been lost, right? Yeah. So, so I turned to my head of CX and we talked about the problem a customer ex- of our customer experience team. I said, you know, what are we going to do? And we came up, we realized, well, we're going to change things. And so for the next day, we went to all the customer service agents and we said, do you know how right now when you want to give what we call goodwill gestures so we want to if you want to give money to a customer because they've had a bad experience or something if you want to give them a goodwill gesture right now you have to get approval from your manager mm-hmm. from how from now on you guys have complete autonomy on the amount you can get and the amount and frequency you want to give a good you want to give money away okay so basically okay. we went to our cx team our customer service team and we gave them the ability to print money Okay. And I said, <laughs> right. And I said, the only thing, the only thing is that we will measure it. And you know what happened when we gave what, it, what were our frontline lowest paid, least, least trained group of people in the whole company. When we gave them the unlimited amount of my right to print money, we, the first month of doing that, we spent one third less money on goodwill gestures no than we did the previous month. I was going to say it's gone down. I was going to I was going to take the point <laughs> and go. Then it went down. I, not by that much. Wow. Because and it's really simple because before when you had a bad experience, no one has taken responsibility. Yep. The customer service agent basically says, oh, "I think we should give him some money, but you know, I'm going to go to my boss. My boss is going to approve it, so it's not going to be my fault." Hmm. And the boss, their their manager is going to approve it because, well, the customer service agent told me I've, I, I've got a problem situation, so they're going to do it. So everyone kind of, everyone's kind of relying on each other, but no one's really taking responsibility. But now it sits, the responsibility sits exclusively with the customer service agent, you know, and that for me, I think has been, was really important. And, and that story actually, um, this may end up being your longest podcast ever. Sorry, but Don't yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's the stories are great. I love listening to the stories and you're, you're loaded yeah. with them. So it's fab. So the story, the story, um, and this is a bit of a legendary story, if you will. So the story got better because about four or five months later, I was having a one-to-one with this customer, our customer service leader. And, 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 and he updated me that we'd fired two people on the team and, uh, on rather, you know, rather short notice. I said, so what happened? Why did we fire those two people? And he said, well, we found out that they had been, They'd issued each of them had issued over fifteen hundred pounds of goodwill gestures to their friends and family. Hmm. So it's fraud, right? They've yeah. basically, you know, been fraudulent. I said, "Wow, okay, well, well done for fire." And then we got yeah, it was just it was terrible. I said, "So what else did you do?" And he goes, "Nothing." I said, "Did you change the policy?" And then he said, "No, I didn't." And 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 I said, "Perfect," because the problem there wasn't the policy; the problem was the person, people, yeah. right? And we. So we had the wrong people doing this and we were that he did exactly the right thing, which was we just didn't have the right people there and they abused the policy. And for me, the 1500 pounds that we lost was money. I wish we had never lost, but it was money that I was more than happy to lose if that's what protected the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And it weeded those people out. They were the wrong people, wrong culture, yeah. gone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And out of curiosity, because I know you measure everything when you, when you put that in place and you found that the amount of goodwill gestures went out, did you notice any sort of effect on your customer service performance ratings or anything like that? Um, well, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I couldn't, I have to go back and check. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm sure we did. Um, what I have seen as we've, as we focused on delivering more freedom, responsibility and autonomy and, and giving it to the customer service team, for instance, is we do, we, one of the things we do measure is we measure the, our employee happiness and satisfaction. And we, and we do that. Yeah. We measure our employees and, and sat, happiness um, every six weeks. Wow. Okay. That often. And, 
Yeah, that often. And we and we can slice and dice. It's 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 anonymous, so I can't see who what an individual feels, but I can see how a team feels, and I can see how a office feels, and I can see how reports of a certain manager feel, mm-hmm. and so and and that tells me a lot about. And you can definitely see trends, right? You can see, you you, you have an instinct about a, you know, a leader who's like maybe they're not giving enough freedom responsibility. You can see that result in the in the in their direct reports. And so today, though, our customer service agents used to have they used to be our lowest performing happiness on the happiness rate. They were the lowest ranking in the whole company. Today, they're I think the highest. Really? And and so it's yeah, it's really interesting. And and what we've done is all about giving them that sense of responsibility and giving them the the tools to, to to make a difference in what they do. So that's really interesting. So given that we're talking about business health, that's, that's essentially like taking the temperature of the company every six weeks. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. And, and you said that's anonymous. How do you actually do that? What mechanism do you use to? We use, there's quite a lot of different softwares out there. We use a software called Peacon, um, uh, P-E-A-K-O-N. And, um, and it's really good. It sends out a survey out to employee base and it gives you measurements and benchmarks against, so over time, how you're doing, but also gives you benchmarks against other, other companies in your sector. Cool. I'll get that information from you because, yeah, I'll get that from you because one of the things I do love to do in the, in the, any episode is just kind of give some, some little takeaways that people can have and, and put in place maybe for their own business or, or at least take a look at. So is there anything else in terms of business health, things that are important to you, um, you look for in your businesses, maybe that you measure, that you look for, that you strive for, um, that we haven't already covered? Well, I mean, there's so much more, to, I think, to a business, but overall business health, of course, is not just culture. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many things that, think, that measure it. But I think at the very heart, I think at the beginning of, I think every successful business, there is a culture that becomes defined, that's, that's clear, that's strong, and that aligns the values that are important to that company are aligned to the success of not only the, of the company and its partners, right? Those things are all connected, right? And and I think that, um, you know, I think I think that 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 for me that getting that right, and it's, and it's something that's hard. It's, it's it's and it's really hard in a smaller business if you're running a spa and you know how do you do that? But it's it's so critical, right? And 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 if you think about, you know, if you're a spa manager, you're your customers, they feel, they feel that culture that you create. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's no question that goes through. Definitely. And, and you may say, it's, on the one hand, it's difficult to create, or it seems difficult to create a culture in a, a smaller team like you might get in a spa compared to a 600 strong um, tech company like yourselves. But, but equally, you're right there. You're able to see and touch every single member of that team. So surely it's a little bit easier to, to control that culture and, and notice if it's getting out of out of where you're aiming for i think it is i think so so you know i didn't think about culture in the beginning culture mm-hmm. was just culture just was something that happened when you put 20 people in a very very small room right you know or 10 people in a very small room and you know and and it, and people still talk about those early days in those really small cramped quarters yeah right and um and I think it happens organically at that phase. What is true is that you have to be more deliberate about it as it gets bigger. Yeah. And I think you have to be more thoughtful about how you live it and breathe it and implement it. But I don't, so I think you're right in a sense when it's a small, it's almost easier in a sense. But I also think that what I do think is that there, you should think a little bit, even in a small, when you're, when you're a smaller group of people, you should think about what are the, the, the values and the things that you look for. Because the, other, because the only other th- the thing about it is you, you want to make sure that those cultures, when you are small, the only thing about those cultures is they're still quite vulnerable. Right? You, if, you're ten, you're, if you're 10 people, you introduce the 11th person. If that 11th person is a really bad egg, they have a really big impact on the culture. Yeah. So today at Treatwell, I talk about like we have an we built up an immune system. So if we make a bad hire, like 
I almost don't worry about it too much. I just know that the company will kind of, the immune system of the company will spit the person out pretty pretty quickly. Um, It is a self-defense mechanism, right? And, um, and, and I think, so you have to, you have to be a little deliberate, I think in the, in the first, in those first 10 hires. And what makes those early culture, those cultures, those people, those early people, they have different skills. Not, not everybody is there. Not everybody is, is kind of like a super perform, the performer. Then maybe there's a mix of people you're wanting to create to create that really great team feeling. Because right? again, it comes back to building a team. Cool. Lopo, thank you so much for the time that you've spared with us today. Um, some really great lessons in that. I love the thing about the quadrants. That was, that was really fascinating and the, the tools as well. Um, Obviously, everyone in the UK knows about TreatWell in, in this industry, it's, uh, you know, but what other, just tell us quickly, what other countries do you operate in? So we're in 11 European countries. Um, so uh, Germany, France, uh, Belgium, Holland, uh, Austria, Switzerland, Spain, Italy, Lithuania, um, wow. Ireland, can't forget Ireland. Um, <laughs> <No. yeah. laughs> so it's TreatWell.com? Um, Treatwell.com, uh, and you'll get to all the different countries from there uh, in the UK, treatwell.co.uk, uh, or download the app. Amazing. Thank you again. Uh, really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for National Spa Week. Um, have a fantastic day, and I'm sure I will speak to you again soon. Thank you. There we go. Great stories, huh? See what I mean? So culture really is key, as is communication, and really the, the principles that a business sort of lays down for itself. So culture with freedom and responsibility can really drive a business to grow quickly and in a healthy way. How can you implement some of these ideas into your own business or with your team today? So don't forget, for more information on this topic, those wonderful folks over at the UK Spa Association who, if you didn't already know, run National Spa Week each year for the benefit of the industry, they've created even more in the way of articles and videos and advice on today's page of the National Spa Week website just for you. You can head over there right now at www.spa-uk.org forward slash spa week. I'll give you that again because it's a little bit fiddly with the hyphen in there. So, you listening? You got a pen? Cool. It's www.spa-uk.org forward slash spa week. Now, if you're looking for the normal show notes pages for this episode, they can be found in the normal place at beautybusinesspodcast.com forward slash episode 72. Now, as I have all week, I will be back here yet again with you tomorrow, where we'll be talking all about leadership, which is a really hot topic at the moment in pretty much every industry as more and more of the younger generation come into the workforce. Now, on tomorrow's episode, I'm joined by Rebecca Bonington, the CEO of Tricres, and we explore this topic from a point of view that I've never actually heard before. It has to do with a mountain and the different levels of leadership that you need to adopt and adapt to as you progress through your career. Trust me, it's a fascinating conversation and a really new way of looking at this concept of leadership. So join me tomorrow for my conversation with Rebecca. Same place, right here.